This is the Authentic Tea Podcast, brought to you by Resilience Yoga. This is the perfect place to find that time and space just for you. I am your host, Rach, and I'm excited to share with you my love of yoga, meditation, and conscious living. As a medic, I understand the challenges of working in medicine as a woman and the desire to maintain a sense of self and authenticity. This podcast will bring you thoughts and ideas on how to create balance each day and to cultivate practices that allow you to connect to yourself and the world around you. I'm honored to be sharing my cup of tea with colleagues and friends who share their experience of creating their own path through life. I hope these stories inspire you to free your inner self and live more mindfully each day. For our episode today, we have the lovely Emma joining us. Emma is passionate about holistic health and is the founder of Halcyon Wellness. By combining her passions of lifestyle medicine and well-being techniques of breathwork, yoga, and meditation, Emma is creating wellness education offers for individuals, employers, and those people working on the front line. Emma is also regional director of the British Society of Lifestyle Medicine, a breath coach, and a yoga teacher. Welcome, Emma. Hello. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here today and it's so wonderful to see all the fabulous things that you're doing. Your wellness education courses support um, improved well-being in the workplace. Was there a moment where you identified that this was something that was a need and can you reflect on how workplace wellness has impacted your own work environment? Yes, yeah, so I think there wasn't a specific moment, but I think my junior doctor years, I definitely felt the strain of sort of working on my emotional, physical, sort of mental well-being as, as a whole. Um, I think the environment didn't really suit me as a person anyway. You kind of you, when you're training as a doctor, you have to do some jobs that you don't necessarily want to do long term. And I think the hospital environment, I, I don't thrive in that situation. I'm kind of I, I prefer being out in the community where I am now. And I think. There is this um, feeling that I think quite a lot of junior doctors have of just sort of being a cog in a wheel and sort of you're a bum on a seat to do a job. And actually, they don't really value you as a human being. It's more as long as there's someone in that rotor gap, (laughs) we're fine. And I think I really felt that at times, particularly when I wasn't enjoying things and I was trying to be proactive about how about could I try and do maybe this job or that job to really like and talking to supervisors about that. And it's sort of like, well, no, it's really service provision. You've just got to do it. And you're like you don't feel valued as a person. And I think looking at surveys on well-being, particularly in the front line and the workforce in the NHS, whenever you're talking about workplace stress or burnout or anywhere along those spectrums, it's always the feeling of being valued um, sort of by your employers, by your um, peers and by patients themselves actually always comes up as one of the most important things for well-being and when they're not there one of the most important reasons for burnout and distress in, in work so I think it was really interesting I think learning that whole experience made me realize how important a well workplace was um, workplace well-being was for your whole well-being as a whole and actually how feeling distressed in just one aspect of your life in work in particularly when you work so many hours in a week actually can affect your whole well-being so I think that's what really kind of stemmed my interest in it. Like you say, we spend so much of our time at work and quite a lot of us, as the pandemic is still going on, are finding ourselves spending that time at home. Can you offer maybe some tips for the audience in terms of thinking about their own workplace well-being, but actually bringing that into their own environments at home? 
I think I heard um, recently that you can think you're working from home or you're living at work. And I thought that was a brilliant way of thinking about it. And I think for me, there's a few things that can really help. I think keeping a routine is really important. And I think you don't have the commute anymore. And some people are just tempted just to press the snooze button and literally get out of bed and go straight onto the laptop working. And I think that's not, we're creatures of habit. And I think our bodies like that routine. So actually try and keep that sleep wait cycle it'll be really good for your circadian rhythm and sleep hygiene just to try and set that alarm clock still but then use that commute time that you wouldn't have and I think this can be more challenging if you're trying to you know get food on table for for kids and breakfast and you know organize you know dressing your kids and getting them ready for the day I appreciate that can be a lot harder but actually think about what you can use your commute time for whether you love reading and just say I'll read a few pages of my book or what I love doing and what actually we started in lockdown and is definitely going to continue with my partner as we go for a morning walk and actually we you know it's even just 20-25 minutes just across the fields and back but it's the best way to start the day and actually getting that morning light will also help your circadian rhythm you get that fresh air you get that bit of movement and you also get that Um, social engagement and having a nice chat and you just feel so much ready to start the day when you get back compared to if you just got out of bed and then (laughs) went there and you have that positive way of starting the day as well it just sets the whole day up in a different light and you just feel really good so I think that's one thing that I'd really recommend I also think boundaries are so important and there's lots of different types of boundaries one for example is putting some different clothes onto your pajamas I think it's very tempting to just go and work in your pajamas but it's amazing how much your mindset can shift if you just like put on a different pair of clothes and you think okay I'm now at work and trying to create that boundary between your work and home life even if there's not that physical boundary so if you're lucky enough to have a separate room of the house you can use for work I think I'd really recommend doing that and then sort of shutting down your laptop at the end of the day closing the door and kind of and exiting the workplace if you don't have that space just have a dedicated workspace in a room that is there for your work from now on and actually you don't use that for relaxation activities just so your mind can kind of work out where you are in the day um and another thing is if you're working at home and you have other people at home I think having some really non-confrontational compassionate communication between each other about what you might need because what someone might think would be really lovely in being every half hour an hour bringing someone a cup of coffee or something actually if they're in a state of flow it actually could be really destructive or if they're in a meeting it could be quite embarrassing so just kind of work out what each other need and I think that those sort of just a, a few tips I think can really help. They are great tips. And I think that's a really nice way to look at how we can create our own space. Like you say, that balance of the work life and the home life now for so many of us becomes in the same environment. Like you, I've also found walking with my husband as well has been a really um, useful tool for me to do on on a daily basis and have that time to connect to nature. Is that connection to nature something that you have actively sought through your own well-being practices and and what are your other favorite ways of getting that connection from the world around us yeah I think connection with nature is just so important I mean I live in a forest so I love it <laughs> like, I have that is one of my priorities and I think you know living in a city has so much excitement and facilities that you might not get when you're living rurally but it's always been intrinsic to me that feeling with nature and how it it supports my well-being so I've obviously prioritized that by where I live but actually if you don't you know live in a in a forest you can still engage with nature and I think there's a sense of awe you get when you go into nature and I think you know you being in the mountains you'll probably get that even more because you get that amazing scenery 
it put everything into perspective. It's like, you know, actually you can kind of realise in a humble way how small you are. And I think that's quite helpful. Um, and there's, I think I always was passionate about nature for health because I um, did some student selected modules in public health in my final year of med school. And you could do self-directed ones where you kind of made up your own project. And I did a literature review on how... Um, the new forest which is where I live as, as the national park could be used as a health resource and kind of delving into the literature there was really fascinating but sort of since then I've come across the concept of Shinrin-yuku which I'm sure you know which is like forest bathing and a Japanese concept and I read a book about that and it, it's a fascinating that they've shown that immersing yourself in nature with all, using all your senses and really being present in nature so not like looking at your phone while going for a walk in the forest but really taking it all in it's shown to like lower blood pressure reduce stress improve blood sugar control so you know if you're thinking of pre-diabetic or diabetic you know the effects of that increases your energy and it even increases weight loss and pain thresholds so I don't think necessarily we've understand all the physiological processes behind these but those the research done to show that these sort of markers of well-being are impacted by being in nature and you don't necessarily have to do a walk you can do whatever you like in nature so that can be you know practicing yoga or tai chi in nature or having a picnic in nature or um, doing an art class in nature or going to like hot springs so I think you don't if you're not a walker you don't need to feel like you're limited by these benefits which I really like. And so much of what you've just mentioned there is all linked into maintaining our own well-being to try and think about how we can prevent both uh, any physical illness progressing and also mental illness and maintaining our own mental well-being. I love, love, love the fact that you did some public health modules at university. That's a big thumbs up for me. Uh, but was there a point, do you think, that you realised where you could understand the value of preventive medicine and was that key to you then developing your passion in lifestyle medicine which you're now combining with clinical practice yeah so I think I've always quite liked sort of the public health modules we did at uni and I've always loved the sort of bigger picture thinking you kind of get with the public health it's you're taking a step back and you know looking at a population whether that's a small community or even the whole world in in a health context and well-being and I think it is it kind of does exactly combine lifestyle medicine is sort of what I think is sort of the halfway point between public health and like traditional clinical medicine and you kind of combine them because it's more at the preventative at the individual level and looking at the root cause whereas public health's more like the root cause of the root cause so yeah um and yes yeah, so I did that and then I started um uh, GP training less than half less than full time and I actually did a public health master's alongside my um, training so that really made me understand the power of preventative measure um, medicine more but all the nuanced different approaches it can take and you know the different styles of public health and I think I think prevention is just so important and it things that really can be so impactful so for example in the UK the smoking ban in public places has just revolutionized well-being for so many people whether that's actually the fact that they don't smoke because it's not sociable anymore so they have less like you know risks of lung cancer and all the other th negative consequences of smoking but actually whether it's just that society people who didn't like going to the pubs because they were all smoky actually can enjoy them more and actually that's sort of a an untangible that hasn't really been considered in the analysis but I think it can be quite beneficial so I think there's so many exciting possibilities with public health I think yeah it's really we have a really nice um where I work public health um body called Live Well Dorset because I 
I live in the New Forest, but work in Dorset. And there really is amazing to be able to actually refer patients to that because they get the time that you can't in a 10 minute consultation and address things. I think having that resource as a clinician is actually really beneficial as well. So I've kind of seen it from both sides, how um, powerful preventive medicine can be. Well, and that sounds like an amazing body to have there so that you can really work with them in partnership as well. And I suppose so much of what we do, particularly in clinical work, but also in public health is around behavior change and shifting behaviors and thinking about how you can move people and support people through cycles of change. So do you have any top tips for people who are out there looking to add some more healthy behaviors into their daily life? I think, yeah, behavior change can seem really daunting. Um, And I think I really loved reading a book by BJ Fogg and he's got a book called Tiny Habits. So if you are interested in behavior change, I really recommend that book. Um, And basically his approach is just make things really tiny. So I think start small. I think you can see all these crash diets to this 30 day program to, you know, be ripped and beach body ready. And actually it's not sustainable. What's going to make radical changes over the long term is really small consistent changes that you can make on a daily basis and yes it might take time for you to get there more than that 30 day you know shred or whatever but actually it will become part of your lifestyle become a daily habit you'll enjoy it you're not going to feel restricted or deprived and actually you might really enjoy your habits and you will feel the success of like winning and actually doing that daily habit and that that feeling of success will motivate you to do more so I think actually trying to start small is probably one of the best things I could recommend so for example it could just be doing five squats when you're boiling the kettle and that's going to the boiling the kettle piggyback it your new habit onto a habit that you do in your daily life I think it's amazing how much we do in our everyday life that's actually on autopilot from like brushing your teeth having a cup of coffee when you're getting through your morning walk or whatever it is And actually, if you want to create a new habit, just piggyback that on to another habit you've already got ingrained and it'll become much easier to integrate into your daily life. And as I was saying about that motivation for success, celebrate it. So whether that's you're using an app and you get those streak days and you just don't want to break it or you have a star chart, which is great for kids, whatever you do, actually celebrate it so you can see that progression. They're really great tips. And I really believe in the piggybacking and adding in trying to think about how we can add in so I think so much of what we try to do sometimes particularly at the beginning of the year is like take away everybody tries to sort of you know withhold things to their life but actually trying to think about what we can add to our lives is really great so let's talk about some of your things that you add to your life let's have a talk about yoga so I know that you also did your yoga teacher training And maybe you could share a bit of your story with yoga, how you started to add yoga to your life, what you found from doing your yoga teacher training. Did it change your relationship with yoga? And what advice would you have for people who are exploring yoga and want to add more of it into their lives? So I think I wanted to try yoga for some time. And I think I used to be a person who was, you know, if you're not short of breath and you're not sweating, the movement doesn't count sort of thing and very type A. Um, And um, what really helped me getting into yoga was actually finding the right teacher. I think I tried different styles. So I bought a book about yoga and looking at the poses. And I thought, well, actually trying to do a nice flow, looking at poses and, and you kind of, it just didn't work. So, and then I looked online and found some teachers and I think just, one thing I would say if you're new to yoga is really try and um, explore and try different styles and try different teachers because you're going to find a style that 
some styles just won't suit you and that's fine and it might be that you like them later on in your life but at where you are at that moment that style of yoga doesn't resonate with you so I think try a few different styles and try a few different teachers because teachers can be there's so many different teachers they all have different approaches to yoga and again you'll have to find one that really resonates with you and some are particularly more sort of um, philosophical and some are more really alignment focused with the asanas and actually getting the anatomy right. So wherever you are in that spectrum, maybe find ones that resonate with you. And I think that helped me get into the yoga practice. And then I practiced for a while and I just felt I really was enjoying learning more about yoga. And I think I started off as a very physical practice as it is for many people. But then as I slowed down and I did the movement connected with the, to the breath I actually became more interested in the phys- philosophy of it and then the more mindful practices such as the pranayama and the meditation and I found them so valuable and I think what I've learned is that as I've become a, more comfortable being with myself and with my own mind and slowing down I've actually really enjoyed the slower postures and the slower practices more so I initially trained in vinyasa but actually I've done my add-on yin training because I actually love yin now and actually I love combining it with my breath coaching so I do yin poses whilst practicing specific types of breath work and actually I find that is really meditative in a way because you're really absorbed in the practice and instead of being in this yin practice going when's this pose gonna end this is hurting or like whatever you actually are really in tune with your breath whilst you're doing it so I, I think I've become much more sort of internal and able to sit with myself instead of it being quite a yang practice and the vinyasa actually being really comfortable with the more meditation the breath work and the yin practices and I think that's what I need in my life I think there's quite a lot of you know sympathetic yang out there with the medicine the running around you know like doing lots of different things and actually having that time to bring the parasympathetic and the yin style of um practice into my life it's just that moment of real calmness and stillness which I think balances everything out so that's how my yoga sort of journey has changed and I think that's what I mean with finding a teacher that resonates with you and being open-minded with coming to a practice of yoga is if one style doesn't suit you don't rule out all of yoga just because it might not be where you need now but I think when I started yoga yin was just like oh my god I couldn't have done that but actually like you do change and be open to the change um and just see where the journey takes you and actually if you stay in the physical practice and that's what you enjoy that's great but explore all the different styles have a look at teachers and I think one thing the pandemic has for if you're looking for silver linings is actually there's so much more yoga now online that actually if you are living where there's not many yoga studios or there's only certain styles there's a so much online these days from YouTube which is free to sort of different apps and platforms and membership sites you the world is your oyster in exploring yoga from your own home at the moment so I really like take advantage of that Thank you for sharing that because it's it's really wonderful to hear how your practice has changed and it resonates so much with me because I've also gone through a very similar experience where I've tried several different uh, types of yoga and found what really works for me and I think so much of that is about connecting with yourself isn't it and understanding what you need at that point in time and that can often change on a day-to-day basis. Let's talk about breath because obviously both being yoga teachers a lot of what we probably teach to our students is about moving and connecting to the breath. And you've gone on to train as a breath work teacher as well, so that you can now share that. 
So how have you found that that has changed your life? Is it something that you started to do after the yoga and now you practice it or do you practice it with the yoga? And what do you think the benefits for other people could be? So I think looking back and reflecting back, I think I kind of understood the power of breath intrinsically quite early on like thinking about it I remember before my A-level exams just sitting there taking really like just slow deep exhales and like really getting into like the zone but trying to calm myself down and I think looking back on like I just that was an intrinsic thing which I had no understanding of the power of the breath at that moment so I think I've been doing it quite a lot sort of in the past but and I remember doing some really stressful on calls when your bleeps just going in the hospital and loads. And I remember just doing like box breathing down the walls. And what I love about it is no one knows you're doing it. It's free. You've got it with you whenever you need it. And it's just there. And like I think it's so subtle but so powerful that actually no one needs to know that you're in that moment doing some breath work, calming yourself down. But it's actually really powerful and effective and in such a short space of time. And I think looking back, I think that. And then coming into the yoga journey made me really consciously aware of the breath and the power of the breath. So I had those moments in the past where it was just intrinsically aware of things and the power of it. Whereas then I think it was uh, just before my yoga teacher training, actually, that I did my breathwork training. So I did that beforehand. But I've been practicing yoga quite a lot by that point and become aware of, you know, the the mindful movement with the breath and the power of the breath at that point. Um, And it was really interesting, like just learning a bit more and combining the science with that intrinsic feeling and learning, you know, how changing the breath affects your physiology and how it kind of brings about its effects, whether that's calming or energizing, depending on sort of what breath work you're using. And when you share your breath work with other people, are there things that you find that people notice when they start practicing breath work? I think they realize how neglected they they just don't think about that breath you know I think they don't realize it and one of the things I I talk about is email apnea and people are like oh my god is that that you know like they they um you know when you open your emails and you just hold your breath because it's so stressful and it's this innate sort of hold your breath when you're scared moment and people then don't realize they're having it but when you actually bring their awareness to their breath and let them associate sort of where, what they're feeling with their breath so say it was just going through a normal day just be conscious so I'm feeling stressed right now what's my breathing like I'm feeling really calm now what's my breathing like and actually understanding that when you're stressed you're often taking far shallow breaths and actually when you're calm it's more sort of diaphragmatic breathing calm longer slower breath rate and I think people are really fascinated by that because it's just been so overlooked for so long yeah, and now, as we were saying earlier, when we were having our little pre-chat, you know, there's so much more now where people are actually connecting the science of the breath work to the what the traditional yogis have been doing for years. And so really putting them together and seeing the benefit in so many different ways. Uh, yeah, and I think people are more fascinated by it now because there's people like Wim Hof who are great in sort of making it interesting and bringing it to people's attentions and you know doing quite a lot of the the crazy stuff he does with it which kind of makes it more intriguing for some but I think actually some people like the fact that it can be much more subtle and not so intense as that and they can still get benefits but then that sort of has brought breath to the forefront by him sort of demonstrating he basically uses um 
a style of old Tumo meditation and Tumo breath. And he's very um, open that it's like he's not he's not reinventing the wheel. He's just bringing open new um, old practices. But I think he does it in a way that people resonate with and then become fascinated by it. And it's sort of an, an in that quite a lot of people are using for breathwork. Just chatting to you, you clearly have a love of learning different things. And like you say, staying open, which has probably allowed you to find all these different opportunities and to seek out your own path. What does that sort of learning mean to you? Is it something that you've always been really keen on lifelong learning and sharing that learning with other people? I think I've always loved learning and I've, I've always been a nerd and I loved school, the learning aspect of that. <laughs> it's a fine because nerds are cool now, so I can say that. <laughs> so, um, but I think I only realised how much I had a lifelong love of learning kind of after school when it was more self-directed. And it's not like here you have to learn this because it's in the syllabus. It's actually I'm just intrinsically love learning new things. And I think about that openness. That is one of the things I have loved learning about myself. And actually, I think I probably was a bit more closed minded. You go through the education system as you learn this and you go through med school and it's all like science, science, science. And I think that's great. You know, you have to learn that. But I think it does teach us to be a little less open about, you know, the woo woo or the things you can't explain. Whereas actually reading books has taught me to be more open-minded and that's something I love about myself how that's changed from being quite closed-minded to open-minded and I'm much more willing to explore things that I might not have considered before because actually understanding and being compassionate about other people's views and then actually you can learn so much about you know you can learn so much about yourself and about the world just by not having your blinkers on and I think so yeah I read more books about things that I wouldn't necessarily have been drawn to before and it's actually really opened my horizons and, you know, broadened my view. And then I love being able to, like we were saying, kind of bring back the science for some of the things and how modern science is kind of catching up with these ancient practices now. So I can kind of combine the two, which I really love. And you have an amazing section on your website with lots of book reviews. So we'll make sure we put some of these links underneath the podcast so people can see, because like you, I'm a massive nerd. And I think most of us are. But, you know, books are part of being that nerdiness, aren't they? Uh, and the other thing that I think is really interesting is also where the science is catching up is around nutrition. And obviously that brings in your lifestyle medicine. Do you find that in your own life, nutrition is something that you have noticed has given you a different sense of well-being? And how do you share that with some of your patients? Yeah, so I think nutrition is really important for overall well-being. Obviously, I think nutrition is actually quite a contentious issue because there's lots of people there's camps and there's some people who think this diet is the best and this diet the best and I think there's probably not one diet that is best for everyone and actually you know everybody is unique and actually that's everybody in terms of what they enjoy but also everybody in terms of the you know what they need physiologically and I think actually people will thrive off different diets so I'm not sort of someone who um sort of prescribes a certain diet and also I'm not a nutritionist so I think I've got to acknowledge my own limitations with my knowledge there but actually I find personally I love having um, a more plant-centric diet so I really love having loads of veg and I feel great on that and I think that includes quite a lot of fiber in that way and I think we're learning so much more about sort of the gut microbiome and the gut brain access at the moment which is fascinating and so I think I thrive off that sort of diet and I think it depends in clinical practice about sort of what issues a person's presenting with me and also what current diet they're on in terms of you know what I might advise um but I think there's so much knowledge out there about nutrition now and how what we eat is important 
from a personal um, sort of perspective, I'm quite fascinated about that, you know, food mood um, connection. That's like, you know, this uh, nutritional psychiatry and actually how what you eat affects your mood. And it's it's so true. And I think also how your mood affects what you eat. So I remember when I was doing night shifts and like we had this in elderly care. I remember we did this week where you were basically on long day, short day, long day, short day for a whole week. And the short days weren't that short. to be fair. <laughs> so it was just like, and by the end of it, I remember eating like I was just eating all the stuff that we tell people not to eat just because you want that sugar rust to keep you going. But I felt so sluggish. My tummy was like churning and I just felt really like not great from a sleep deprived perspective and I'm eating stuff that my body doesn't thrive off to get me through it and I think you know it it just shows how interlinked it all is I'm going to admit something now that I I just laughing as you're telling me the story of your you know horrific weeks but I was someone who used to grab a sausage white bat with an egg, you know, fried egg in it. And that was my go-to after every shift. I look back on it now. It's like you say, so much mood-driven eating that it's not really conscious. We're not really activating any consciousness of our food. And we're not really in those moments. We're not really thinking about what is actually nourishing us, nourishing our bodies, and also thinking about what is nourishing our mind, because then you just get into this habit. I think there's, there's a lot of people doing that. So true. I think one thing I would, if I said prescribe anything, I would say look into meal prepping because I think for that exact reason, when you're in that stressed, um, stressed out, don't have time to stay, you can always grab the things that sometimes you don't want to like, you know, you just grab anything and actually you can make so much sort of nutritious meals, put it in a Tupperware, take it to work and you have, it's often a lot cheaper as well and you have something ready there to take and it kind of takes that subconscious emotional grabbing the wrong food sort of the wrong food for you and what you need in that moment um and then actually having something that you feel will actually fulfill you more ready there to grab yeah that's a really good tip I would definitely recommend that for everybody (laughs) pulling some of these things together I think there's so much like we're saying about being conscious do you think that your meditation and adding meditation to your life has helped you to be more conscious, be more in the present, kind of focus on what's going on right here, right now, whether that's comfortable or uncomfortable? I think it's uh, definitely a work in progress, but absolutely, yeah, definitely being able to be more present, come back to the moment. And really what I think it's really taught me is I was quite reactive. And I think it's taught me to find that pause between the stimulus and the response and actually contemplate what will serve me better instead of just reacting, responding to an event. And whether that means I just take a couple of deep breaths and breathe and just react and actually be like, and just be, okay, so what's my innate innate reaction? Is that actually going to serve me? (laughs) Or do I need to adapt to what I was going to actually react to this with? And I think that's really um, helped in that way. And I think, I've tried so many different styles of meditation and I think I've dabbled in many I think I was using apps I think I was using the Calm app to start and that was a great into it and then I used I don't know if you know about the Muse headband which is basically this app which you then put a headband it's got an EEG on it and it's quite good for that instantaneous biofeedback because I think what some people find really hard with meditation is that you feel you're meant to clear your mind which is total myth as well because you can't clear your mind but you know it's more about having that focus and it's that bringing yourself back from the mind wandering to a point of focus which is that true mindfulness and then that's what I love about it is that you can't have a bad practice because actually if you mind you mind wander lots but then you're able to come back to the breath that's the and that's the sort of impactful bit that you're training your mind and it's a practice and you're practicing coming back to that point of focus 
And that's what Muse was quite good at, is that it has sort of escape on. So I had like waves, but you can have rain or whatever. And it's kind of lapping waves if you're really like focused on your breath. Whereas if your mind wanders, it can't become stormy. So you kind of get the, oh, as a cue, I really like, it's an extra cue of my mind's wandering. And then if you're really focused on the breath for over five seconds, birds start tweeting. And it's really humbling because the first time that happens, you're like, oh, the birds are tweeting. <laughs> and then obviously your mind wanders. So I think that's quite good if you feel like you need that um, biofeedback. And I've then tried unguided meditation. Um, I've also, as my yoga um, sort of, evolved I was more open to sort of more mantras and I find actually it's really interesting the sort of sound vibration and how that affects your body and I think so I've dabbled in lots and again a bit like the yoga I think kind of explore what works for you I think apps are a great um into you know meditation and can be presented at a very accessible level and I my favorite at the moment is insight timer I find that's great um and I think it's got probably one of the most wide-ranging free content out there which is obviously very you know um appealing so that's not sort of my go-to but I think yeah the being more present it's definitely taught me to try and enjoy the moment more or be not to say enjoy the moment but just be in the moment more and that non-reactivity I think those are probably the two things I've got out of meditation the most and those skills are so important particularly when life as it is at the moment is so challenging just bringing ourselves back to that moment and in trying to be in the present just giving us our space from the thoughts from before and after amazing skills to keep working on aren't they and like you say it's always a work in progress I think anyone who's meditating is always doing that like you I'm a massive fan of insight timer and I suppose one of the great things like you said with yoga is now we have such access to so many different things online that it really can be such a benefit to explore you can explore so many different types of yoga so many different types of meditation that you really can find something that's going to work for you and I know you've got and you've built up a really great presence online by all the different things you're doing and part of that is about creating communities is there anything you'd like to share about how you value community and particularly online communities now a lot of us are working more remotely so I think one thing I learned probably when I was about 20 was that it was the people in my life that were going to bring me the most happiness and I think I'm really lucky that I learned that about myself that early really because then I can kind of frame my life around that and I think there's so much evidence now that human connection is so important for our well-being and being able to thrive and if you if you think about it from an evolutionary perspective, we did evolve as a social animal. And actually, it is important for our well-being to be able to um, connect with others. And there was a study done by the BBC, I think last year or maybe the year before, that was doing a loneliness survey. And it was surprising to me how actually it was sort of the younger population that demonstrated the greatest level of loneliness. And I think we do associate it with maybe older ones, you know, your loved ones have passed and that sort of thing. Whereas actually it's really prevalent in our younger generations. And I don't think this pandemic's making that any easier. And I think, you know, there's evidence now that loneliness is is harmful to our health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And actually it's it's just so profound how important social communication and social connection is. I think in this time, we're really lucky to have the online world. And actually, if we didn't have it, when we're having to socially distant and being locked down, it would be um, like far worse. But I think, yeah, so I think it's nice to develop that online presence. And I think what I've loved the most out of the online community 
from a personal perspective is actually meeting like-minded individuals almost like yourself and other people in the sort of lifestyle medicine sphere and um yoga sphere and I think you kind of when I started this journey I felt a little bit isolated in my way of thinking and my approach was actually online I've met so many like-minded people and it's been great to sort of build that community up yeah and I totally agree it's a really wonderful way to make connections with people who are all around the world doing really similar things it kind of gives you a boost that you've got your like tribe somewhere that everyone's got a tribe somewhere it's just finding them where can people go if they want to connect with you and share some of the uh, offers that you're doing and be part of your community? Simplest place at the moment, if you want to sort of maintain part of the community, would be Instagram. That's my social media platform that I'm most active on. And that's at Dr. Emma Thurston, just one word. And um, healthyandwellness.co.uk is our website if you're looking into the courses. And then I've got a bit of a blog there as well. So they're sort of the main two. But yeah, feel free to reach out on social media and I'm happy to you know say hi. Great. And we'll make sure that all the links are in on the podcast as well so that people can have a look and explore your courses and see all the great things that you're doing and sharing. It's been amazing having you on today and I could talk to you for ages. So one last question. This podcast is called Authentic Tea and I would love to ask you where and with who would you choose to have your most authentic cup of tea? So I think if you ask me right now in this moment I would say by the fire in my parents' house with my mum, my dad, my sister and my brother and just have like a really nice family cup of tea because even though they live just down the road, I haven't seen them for months. So that would be really lovely. That's wonderful. That's such a lovely vision. And I really hope that it won't be too long before you can do that with your family. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. It's been great. Thank you. You've been listening to the Authentic Tea podcast brought to you by Rach and Resilience Yoga, creating yoga and meditation content specifically for women in medicine who want to cultivate inner calm and resilience. If you've enjoyed listening, please subscribe, rate, write a quick review and join us again soon. Mm-hmm.